If you've been watching or um, looking at the news this week, you may have seen this painting. Has anyone seen a picture of this painting this week? It's called The Three Figures. It's a very famous avant-garde Russian painting, um, valued at £740,000. I will draw you one for 600000 if you like. But there is a story that was attached to this very famous painting this week. There was a security guard hired on the 7th of December in the gallery in which this painting hangs. And he was a bit bored looking at this painting one evening, so thought, in what he later described as a momentary lapse of sanity, he would do a little bit of additional work to it. And so this is what we ended up with. He got a biro and drew some eyes onto the two figures at the side doing tens of thousands of pounds worth of damage. And that now needs to be rectified. I will also draw the eyes on if you want as well. So please come to me for commissions after the service. Not everything that we add in life grows us. Not everything that we do adds value. Sometimes there are things that we do that actually take away. And we actually have to be really careful that what we're doing in our life is the right thing. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at um, the topic, as John has said, about the church growing, about being called to grow. Now, the term church growth sort of came about in the 1960s, both in the UK and in the US. There were people who started to realize that the church was struggling to sort of um, engage the generations coming up. And so there were people, church leaders, who became passionate about church growth, about seeing new people come to faith in Jesus. And many of those things that have happened in the intervening years, we have reaped the fruit and the benefit of. Things like Alpha, Christianity Explored, tools and vehicles used um, to see the church grow. But what does it mean to say that we should grow? What does it mean? Well, I quite like this definition. What is Christian growth? Well, it's entirely a matter of the growth of life. Specifically, this life which must grow is the divine life, the life of God. We see the growth in the life of God in our church, in our individual lives. Now, growth in anything in life doesn't just happen, does it? If you buy a plant, if you want it to grow, you have to water it and put it in sunlight. If you have a puppy and you want it to grow, don't water it and put it in sunlight, but give it food and do other things. If you've got a relationship that you want to grow, you need to spend time together. Whatever it is, there needs to be the right kind of environment for things to grow. So it is with the church. So it is with the disciple of Jesus. We need the right food in order to grow and the right environment in order for the Christian faith to flourish. So if you've got a Bible with you, do you want to turn in God's Word? We're going to, we've got three readings this morning. They will all appear on the screen as well. So the first one is from Luke 13, 18 to 21. Um, just a reminder as well, we do have some lovely new church Bibles that are over by Richard um, over there. Um, do pick those up as you come in. It'd be great to get those in use rather more. So this is the first reading. This is from Luke 13. And it's the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what else shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like a woman that took yeast and mixed it into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And then a couple of readings from the book of Acts. Acts 2, 
Um, Just two verses, verses 40 and 41. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Just like that soak in a minute. 3,000. 3,000 people found saving faith in Jesus on that day of Pentecost. And then a bit further on into the book of Acts. This is Acts 17, 1 to 4. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Let's just pray, shall we, as we look at God's word this morning. Lord, we want to be those who are growing in you, individually in our own discipleship journeys, but also growing as a church family, that we will be a place where the gospel is shared, where people come to saving faith in you. And so just in the few moments we have this morning to unpack what your word would say into this area, we just pray that you will encourage us to be and to seek out being those people of growth. Help us not to be stagnant and help us not to shrink in our faith. But Lord, call us forward. Call us to press into you more and more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are lots of passages we could go to in the Bible about growth. Jesus talked about growth in lots of different ways. He talked about all kinds of parables that talk about growth. Perhaps the most famous is not the two that I've read this morning, but the parable of the sower, where it's all about the growing of seeds. And then as you go into the book of Acts, there are all kinds of passages, we'll touch on a couple more a bit later on as well, that talk about how the early church grew. Now, we have to be a little bit careful here because these parables that we're talking about, about the kingdom of God, are not specifically about the church. And we have to think, well, how do those two things relate to one another? I found somebody who can say it much better than me, so you'll just have to put up with this definition. The church and the kingdom of God are closely related, though not identical. When the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it is referring to the rule and reign of God. This kingdom is one that can never be destroyed and will never end. It's King Jesus will sit on the throne forever. The church is the people of God who live under Jesus' loving rule now while waiting for the realization of God's kingdom in the future. So what we can say is when we look at kingdom parables, we're looking at something that applies to the church now. Whilst the kingdom of God is broader than the church, the church is the part of the kingdom of God. So are you expecting to see growth in your own life as a Christian? Have you seen any growth in your own life as a Christian? Do you want to keep growing as a Christian? Well, it's all positive. Let's stay positive with these. Now, I want to talk about growth in two ways. I want to talk about growth as depth, about putting deep roots into the things of God, and then out of that in terms of growth as breath. Now, we have a conifer in our garden, and it was raining, so I'm afraid I haven't got a picture of it. Um, But this conifer will have to be taken down, because what's happened over the winter is it's gone from being like that to being like that. It's doing a leaning tower of Pisa impression. And sooner or later, it will fall over and probably take a fence panel with it. Now, we'd rather it didn't take the fence panel, so we'll chop it down. The roots have failed. It has not been kept strong enough rooted into the soil. A flourishing tree needs deep roots. 
If a tree is going to grow and survive, it needs to go deep and deep and deep down. Now, when a mustard seed that Jesus is talking about, now a mustard seed is about a millimeter across, mind you. When you plant it, it grows into a tree. Now, I'm not talking about the mustard and cress that you grow on your windowsill. You have to get that out of your mind. We're talking about a mustard tree that when it's grown will look something like that. And because um, the climate in which those trees naturally grow is very dry, their roots go deep, deep, deep down to get nutrients. And they also, they spread out so that in the dry weather, they can stay fed. When things um, get stormy, they don't fall over. And so it is with us as church. We need to go deep into the things of God so that we do not get buffeted around. We need to have our, our roots, if you like, deep into the scriptures, deep into our prayer life, deep into seeking after the infilling of the Spirit. You see, a shallow-rooted Christian, a shallow-rooted church, a church whose faith is not deeply founded, actually, as soon as societal change comes, as soon as something comes on the horizon that rocks us a little bit, we start to do the conifer thing. We start to tilt over rather than being like the mustard tree. Now, in the case of the parable of the mustard tree, the seed that Jesus talks about, the seed of the kingdom, is that initial faith when we first step out. That's the kind of parallel that Jesus is talking about. Now, many people in Jesus' day thought, well, when the kingdom of God comes, what will happen is the Messiah will come as a conquering king. He will come with his big armies. He'll kick out those nasty Romans and everything will be wonderful. What does Jesus do? He comes and he says, it starts small. It starts as your heart turns to Jesus. It starts as the rule and reign of God. Just gets a little bit of planting in your heart. And then it grows and it grows and it grows. But it has to grow. Jesus never said, start with a mustard seed and end with a mustard seed. He says, start with a mustard seed, plant it and see what happens. As we look through the history of the church, the greatest moves of God have always started when people started with a mustard seed of faith and got on their knees and prayed. Dug deep, dug deep into the things of God. The, the Wesleyan revivals that happened in the 18th century, John Wesley and a group of other people in Oxford were praying and meeting together, wrestling with what it meant to be a true disciple of Jesus. And then one day, John Wesley was reading, Martin Luther wrote a commentary on the book of Romans, and he was reading a commentary on Romans. In fact, it was the preface. It's like, imagine reading an introduction to a commentary and thinking, oh, wow, this is exciting stuff. That's where God met him. He encountered God and he said, my heart was strangely warmed. An amazing phrase. And from that, he went on to keep praying and praying and praying and this group prayed and they preached and they went out and this nation was transformed. Early 1900s, the Welsh revivals. What happened? The Keswick Convention. People were praying and praying and praying and God's spirit was poured out and amazing things happened in the south of Wales particularly. A bit closer to home to me, and um, not quite as long ago, in the 1970s, Point and Baptist Church, just a few miles down the road here, the church had shrunk down to just a handful of very committed older ladies who said, well, we're not going to shut the church. We will just meet every day to pray. And so they met, and they prayed, and they dug deep, and they um, had faith in the Word of God, and they kept praying and praying and praying until somebody joined them, and then somebody else joined them. And the church started to do this. And the church is now several hundred people, has planted other churches. And that growth has still happened. But it started with digging deep. Digging deep into the things of God. Do you want to grow today? Do you want to get to know your Bible more? Do you want to get to know what it means to pray at a deeper level? Well, Jesus moves the illustration on. 
And in verses 20 to 21, we have a rather more domesticated image. We've gone from the garden and we've gone inside and we're watching somebody baking bread. Now, we might think of baking bread at the moment. If you've got a bread maker, it's quite easy, isn't it? You took it all in a bread maker, you press go, you go away for three hours and then come back and there is this beautiful smell of bread in the house and an amazing loaf. Forget all that. There was none of that, surprisingly, in the first century. And if you wanted to make bread, what you had to have was there was no packeted yeast or dried yeast. You had to have something with live yeast in it. So you would use what is called the leaven, which would mean that you'd bake bread one day, you'd keep a little bit of the dough with the yeast in, you'd put it in a jar, you'd keep that covered, and that would stay fresh for the next day when you wanted to bake bread. And people had to bake bread every day. It was a kind of thing that just people did. And so the illustration here is that this woman who's baking bread, she's got her leaven, she puts this tiny bit of dough into a huge amount of flour. The amount of flour that's talked about here is 22 litres. Don't go making a 22-litre flour loaf of bread. You'll be eating it for about 100 days. You know, it's enough to feed a Roman legion. This is the amount of bread she's baking. I don't know why she's baking it, but that's not the point. But the idea is that you just put a little bit of the yeast And then the enzymes, you see I've read up on this, the enzymes that are in the yeast allow it to grow and allow it to swell and the whole loaf starts to rise. Just that little seed, if we allow God to do his work, it starts to grow. And it will grow and it will grow in us and it will be complete, not in this life, but when Jesus returns and the kingdom of God is all in all. Do we have that desire to grow in the way that Jesus is talking about here. To have that faith that is as small as mustard seed, is as small as a bit of leaven in a huge amount of flour that will see it all rise. See, the psalmist says in Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. Longs, that deep desire to know God more. To be a disciple who chooses growth is always going to have to be a conscious thing. You see, we can fall into sin. You can't fall into growth. You've probably experienced that in your life. Even the Apostle Paul experiences that. You know, he he will go on and he will say, there are things I want to do that I don't do, and instead I find myself things doing that I don't want to be doing. I think we all battle with sin in that kind of way. Imagine it like this. You know, I could quite easily go into the stairwell down there and fall down the stairs. It doesn't take a great deal of skill to fall down the stairs. It takes an awful deal of skill to fall up them. You can't fall upwards. And in the same way with spiritual growth, while you can fall into sin, you have to consciously decide, actually, I'm committed to this. I want to grow in God. I want to reach higher. I want to see my roots go deeper and deeper down. The first Christians, these Christians who in the book of Acts saw this astronomical growth of the church, it wasn't an accident. It was not an accident. When you see what they were doing... They were wholeheartedly committed to prayer, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to the apostles' teaching. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And out of that, the Spirit is moving. Out of that comes this deep dedication to spiritual growth. Let's think about growth in breath for a moment. As churches, we risk getting very busy. Um, don't know if you've noticed that since the pandemic has started to ease, our, our list of notices grows longer. And that is a good sign. You know, I love it, the, the last slide that John had up this morning that we started doing that gives a list of everything that's going on. Because so many of those things are a sign of life and vitality. 
But busyness in any area of life, if we're not quite sure why we're busy, it can be actually counterproductive. It's like we can be going around drawing eyes on things just for the sake of it, without really being strategic and without thinking, actually, why are we busy? What are we doing all this busyness for? Growth in breadth, as we look to see the kingdom of God grow and people find saving faith in Jesus, is never about just doing more and more and more. We'll burn ourselves out. That is not what the church has ever been called to do. But it's about thinking, how are the things that we are doing, both individually and as a church, how are they enabling us to share Jesus? How are those things that we're doing being used so that Jesus can become more well-known, so that the gospel can continue to be shared? You know, a growing church, if we want to be a church that is growing, a healthy church is one that knows why it's doing what it's doing and what it's doing it for. You know, we're not just doing random stuff, but we're being really careful about what we do. As the mustard tree grows, as that tree grows, the birds come and sit in its branches. It becomes a place of gathering for the local birds. Now, our next-door neighbor has a silver birch tree in their garden, and it is a gathering place for noisy pigeons. And they all fly into it when our dog runs down the garden barking at them. And it's a bit of a place of safety. And in some senses, I quite like that image. You know, the church is a place of safety for those who come to us and say, actually, we want to come to the place where God's priorities are lived out. And that is all true. And a growing tree is a place where actually God's priorities and purposes can be lived out. Are we passionate about seeing people become... um, have faith in Jesus, becoming Christians, becoming Christ followers. We need to live this stuff out. We need to become that place where people can come safely into our gatherings and feel welcome and feel loved. Last week, if you can remember back, we were talking about prayer. We were talking about how we need to be those who pray bold, audacious prayers, not to give up on prayer. You know, if you've got somebody in your family or a friend who hasn't become a Christian and you'll long for them to find faith in Jesus, don't give up praying. Just keep praying and praying. The week before, we talked about how as a church we need to be filled with the Spirit and this sort of image that actually the Spirit is always being pulled out on the church. We just sometimes drift away and don't get, don't get the full flow, if you like, of what the Spirit is doing. And when all these things are in place, when all the things that the church in the book of Acts was doing, then I think scripturally, it's very reasonable to think, actually, we will grow too. We will start to see people come to faith in Jesus. If we do what the early church did, the Spirit is the same, God is the same, God has not changed, we will see the growth that was talked about in the early church. The book of Acts talks about growth rather a lot. I won't read all those references out. But those are all the different references in the book of Acts where actually it says the church was growing or this number of people became Christians or these people and these people became Christians. You know, have a look at those lists. It's really encouraging to read them all. Acts 2 verse 47, it sums it up. It says, the Lord added daily to the number those who were being saved. Do we have a passion for the gospel? Are you convinced Today, I don't just mean you think it's a nice idea, but thoroughly convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. Or in reality, are we just happy if church is warm and comfortable and nice? What is it? Do we have a passion for the gospel? Or are we just interested in our own comfort? 
Do we have any kind of sense that our church is to be a hospital, a lifeboat, a place of rescue? You know, the cross, the resurrection. It's the great rescue of God. Do we have that in our sort of DNA as who we are as church? Or are we more concerned with being a gathering for relaxation and pleasure? Jesus said at the end of Matthew's gospel, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Church growth is not an optional extra for the church. It's what we're commissioned to do. And if we're not doing it, we need to ask ourselves some really serious questions about what we're not doing. In the Second World War, there was a poster aimed at getting people to grow their own food. And it was, um, because it was all out war, anything people could do would make a difference. You've probably seen this poster. Dig for victory. And it was the idea that if you had land, if you had a bit of garden, and you planted carrots or parsnips or whatever it was, it would all help in the bigger picture of things. You see, if we want to grow as a church, don't think that it doesn't matter that you're not having a prayer time. Don't think that it doesn't matter that you're not passionate about God's word. All these things make a difference. The more we dig down, the more capable as a church we are of holding the breath and of actually sharing the good news of Jesus. Digging down into God is the source that produces growth. It's the source that produces growth. Now, as we emerge out of the pandemic, and let's pray and hope that this is, we are coming out of it. You know, there are no more restrictions that are going to restrict what we're able to do. And let's keep praying about that. You know, we could come up with some fantastic mission strategy for Lynn. We could do it in our own strength. We could have the best strap lines. We could have all this stuff. And yet it probably won't work unless we're digging deep. Unless we're digging deep into God. Unless we are convinced as to who Jesus is. So let's be praying. Let's be those digging deep into the life of God. And let's be praying for those things that are already showing growth at the moment. It's really encouraging to hear what's going on in Highley with the pioneering work in Thelwall. It's encouraging to hear how people are coming to friends and neighbors, holiday at home, coming in for coffee on a Tuesdays, um, AFK, whatever other groups that we run as a church. Sorry if I've missed your group off there. Um, but it's so important that we pray for the things we're already doing. But say, God, we know there's more. There's more. There's always more that God is calling us to do. I'm going to have to apologize for Claire now because she said, don't talk about our car again. You talked about it last week. But anyway, I am going to talk about our car again. Because our Fiesta went in for an MOT this week. Now, when your car is nearly 10 years old, it's always a bit of a nail-biting thing when it goes in for for an MOT because you're thinking, if this needs a big repair, that could be game over for the car. Um, So it went in. Fifth year on the trot, it passed its MOT. So we're there sort of cheering away, thinking, we can cope with the service and an MOT, that's fine. But I wonder sometimes with an MOT, you know, what happens is you get this report, don't you? Sometimes it comes up with advisories, and sometimes it comes up with things that you actually need to do because it's no longer safe. And so sometimes you might have an advisory saying, you know, one of your tires on the left-hand side is near the legal limit. You just need to watch that one. You might come out with an advisory that your brake pads aren't working particularly well and, you know, you need to do something about that. Sometimes it might be actually your car is unsafe and you're not allowed to drive out of the garage. But an MOT is a really important thing to enable us to think about how safe and reliable a car is going to be. So what I want to think about as we draw this to a close this morning is really about a spiritual MOT and where we're up to with growth. 
Now, this could be for us to do individually, and I would encourage us to do this individually. But if you're part of a small group, I'm going to send these um, questions around for you to do as a small group as well. And just to look at a spiritual MOT. See, I haven't got the MOT sign there. Isn't that amazing? So what in your life is causing you to grow in Christ? What is causing you to grow? Are there things at the moment that you're doing that are working well, you can find yourself being nourished by the Lord, and you can find your confidence in the gospel growing? If that's, there are things, name them, celebrate them, keep doing them. What in your life started out well but has now lost its usefulness? Sometimes we, we start off on a particular way of doing things, and we do them for a period of time, and then we realize, actually, that's no longer causing the growth that it was. You know, I can think of times when I've got into a particular rhythm of prayer or something, I've used a particular resource, and it's been good for a while, and then I've started to do it out of legalism and out of ritual. And actually, I then need to change and do something different. So have a think about that one as well. What in your life is causing spiritual harm? What if you like the eyes that you're drawing on the painting, the things that you're adding, but actually it's doing you damage and it's not growing you? I'm not just talking about sin, but things that perhaps you're doing that are actually um, shrinking your faith rather than growing it. And then fourthly, what needs to change to enable growth? If you're going to be growing, if we're going to be growing as a church in depth and in breadth, what do we need to do differently? Not what do other people need to be doing differently, but what do we need to be doing differently? How does that impact my life? my small group, whatever it is that I'm involved with. I'm just going to leave that on the screen for a moment. If the the musicians could come up, that'd be great. Um, And then I'll pray for us. And then we're just going to have a a bit of a time of response where we can think through those questions. If you want to take a picture of it on your phone so you can read it um, while Claire is leading us in the next song, please do. Um, And then, yeah, let's just have a few moments of quiet and then I will pray for us. Lord, you call us to grow. You call us deeper into you. Your word is full of accounts of people who had a deep longing in their heart for more of you in their lives. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Lord, I want to pray that you would give us a deeper longing today for you, that you'll help us to dig deeper into the things of God, the things of the Spirit. And Lord, we want to see more people come to know you as Lord and Savior. We long to see the good news spread. And Lord, we know that we have to have depth and breadth at the same time. Lord, draw us back to yourself. Help us to return to you. Thank you that whenever we turn our hearts in your direction, you are always there welcoming us, loving us pouring out your grace and your mercy into our lives.
So, Lord, call us forward. Call us on, we pray. In Jesus' name.